This week we are starting our, our small groups here at Our Savior Lutheran, and so you'll notice uh, something different in our service folder. Uh, you'll also notice it that it's a little different, or there's going to be a few things different just with our sermon online. Uh, that our small groups this week uh, and for the next or for this semester, are all going to be touching on and discussing the sermon and its main thought a bit more during the week. So, uh, I, for the, in the service folder itself, you see that I've, I've given you three questions to, to think about and consider that revolve around that main theme of uh, when bad things happen to good people. Uh, those of you joining us online, it'll also, you'll also see those questions uh, as, uh, not only now at the beginning, but as we go through it, as well as the answers that are printed there for you. If you haven't joined one of our small groups yet, I'd certainly encourage you to do that. A great way to not only get a little bit more out of worship as you get to pay attention or listen for specific things during the sermon, but also a great way just to get together with your fellow believers during the week um, and talk a bit more about God's Word and, and uh, yeah, encourage one another. My guess is, when you've heard bad news, and especially really bad news, you can remember the situation like it was yesterday. Some of you are old enough to remember when John F. President John F. Kennedy was shot. I remember talking to my dad about it. My dad was only 13, and he could remember exactly where he was when he heard that news. For those of you a little bit younger, you could perhaps remember exactly where you were when the shuttle Challenger exploded in 1986. We were watching it on TV in our grade school classroom. For those of you younger still, you might be able to remember exactly where you were and exactly what you were doing as you watched planes fly into the World Trade Center on 9-11. I was sitting with my bishop as, during my vicar year in Wausau, Wisconsin. Those, that bad news only becomes more vivid in our memories when it strikes even closer to home, though, doesn't it? You can remember, perhaps, everything about the, the phone call that you receive late at night or sometime during the day that you didn't expect and that bore all sorts of bad news. Bad things happen, don't they? They happen in our lives. They happen in the lives of our, our friends, our loved ones. And they happen to people that we would consider to be good people. For example, when I was growing up, there was a, a kid in our church who was a few years younger than me. I can remember at some point, it was shortly after we got down here in Birmingham, that my dad and I were talking and he happened to mention this man who had now grown up, had a family, a, a young son. He and his wife had been killed in a, a small plane crash in Wisconsin. I, it was surprising, for one thing. And the next thing was, what about their son? Right, my guess is in your life and in your, your own experiences, you are able to think of kids who have lost their parents, whether the kids were young or a little bit older. You can think of parents who have lost their kids, husbands and wives who have lost their spouses. 
And at the end of all of it, often the question that's left ringing in our hearts and pounding around in our brains is why? And it's a good question to ask. A good question to ask not only for ourselves, but for all those people around us, for our friends and neighbors who experience all the same pain and agony in their life. Because the same question is bouncing around in their head as well. People are going to ask us why, if your God is so good, do bad things happen to good people, to innocent victims, to even little children? The fact is that God does allow bad things to happen to good people. And at times that fact surprises people, but it really shouldn't. After all, just take a look through the pages of Scripture and you see example after example of it. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be taking a look at perhaps the the best example of it in the book of Job. Proof that our God has a history of letting really bad things happen to the best of people. The Bible describes Job as a good man. The Bible also tells us that he experienced the worst type of pain. But better than any other book in the Bible, the book of Job tells us why and helps us understand what God is doing when the bad news you can't avoid changes the good plans you have for your life. We look at the first eight verses in chapter 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And it had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before God, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. There are only a few people in the Bible that are described like Job is here. In the pages of Scripture, Moses is described as the, the most humble man that walked the face of the earth. Do you remember how David was described? God said that David was a man after his own heart. Jesus called Nathanael a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And here, Job is described as blameless. 
and upright. Now, as you read that word blameless, don't think that Job somehow managed to go through life without sin. We know that that isn't true. Maybe a better word for blameless is complete. Job was like the, uh, the Olympic decathlete. Right? He was an all-round child of God. His faith and his life were exactly the same thing. At times, I suppose Christians can get, Christians can get criticized by non-Christians for being a bit phony, right? Devout at church, but at times dishonest in business, or generous with friends, but selfish in marriage. That wasn't Job. Job lived his faith in everything he did. He showed it by doing, uh, doing two specific things. Did you note in the first ten verses, he was described as fearing God, And shunning evil? In other words, fearing God is that he was actively taking steps closer to God each and every day. And at the same time, shunning evil. Running away from those things that God didn't like or doesn't want. He was actively doing things in his life to strengthen his relationship with God. It was the best kind of life that God could have for him. That's what a good life is. A good life is a life of faith. Now, understand also what that means then. In other words, God believes that you do not need possessions, money, wealth, comfort, good health, good skin, or even healthy children in order to have a good life. And you want proof? Look what God does next. God gives Satan permission to take all of those things that you and I might consider as necessary for a good life, and he gives Satan permission to take it all away. Look what happens next in verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan reply? Have you not put a hedge around him in his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of God. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting 
and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Man, even now, 4,000 years later, it's still a little hard to listen to and read, isn't it? Job loses everything that the world would consider as being necessary for a good life in one day. I suppose from Job's perspective, he lost it all in a matter of moments. As you read that, what was Satan's goal? Satan's main goal in bringing all of this bad, all these bad things into Job's life was not to have Job lose his home, his property, his children, his wealth, his health. But as Satan himself said, Satan's main goal in all of this was to get Job to do one thing. Curse God to his face. Satan's only goal was to rid Job of the one thing that God called good in Job's life. His faith. And Satan's goal for you is the exact same thing. Satan's only goal is to rid you of the one thing that God calls good in your life. Your faith. Which means you already know the way and the secret to getting Satan to leave you alone. Don't be good. Stop living your faith. Care more about your possessions, your money, your, money uh, your property, your health, sports, your children, than your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Care more about being right about something than living as a, a kind, patient, and, and sacrificial child of God. Care more about your comfort than about someone else's burden. And Satan will look at you and say, I don't have to take anything away from them. They already don't care about their faith. But if you do care, and those things are important to you, then understand that Job is not the exception. Jesus called Satan the prince of this world because as he did, Satan has some measure of control over all the things in this earth, on this earth. He has, a, he has a some measure of control over all those things that have such a strong, that our, our thoughts and emotions have such a strong grip on. He has some control over those things that we might say are necessary for a good life here on earth. Do you think it might be possible that Satan has something to do with this whole COVID situation? That Satan is is using this as a way to challenge the faith of many? 
and to get them from showing that faith in how they act and in what they do? Whether or not he does, one thing we can learn here is the only reason Satan is able to do bad things to good people is because God allows it. As you look back over those verses, who is the one who suggested that Job go through all of this? Who was the one who brought Job into the conversation who said, have you considered Job? It was God. And not just once, but he did it twice with Job. Can you blame people for wondering what God is thinking and what God is doing as he brings bad things into the lives of good people? But as believers, reading the book of Job, you and I know why. And I can help you understand it with a simple example. I've picked up running. I'm not sure picked up is the right word. I've started running. I feel bad for the people in my neighborhood as I do it. People might be looking out their front window hoping to see a nice sunny day and what they see is me huffing along. They're coming home from work and they, what they see is me struggling for breath, running on the side of the road. Now let's just say you were in charge of picking someone to run a specific race, a length of any length, a race of any length you get to pick. And your choice of who runs that race is me or the world champion in that length of a race. Understand, the person who runs as a, as a world champion in that race experiences the same pain I do. Right? Lungs that burn, legs that ache. The difference is, they're really good at it. And now the choice is yours. Who are you going to pick? You're going to pick the world champion, right? Why? Because you want to win the race. Now, the world champion, as he's chosen to, to run that race, does he see it as a form of punishment for being chosen because he's of the agony and pain that he's going to have to endure? Or is it an honor? He sees it as an honor. You, you think of the Olympians, right? Who are chosen to represent their country in any number of events, and they think of all the pain and agony that they've gone through, and yet they don't focus on the pain and agony. They look and say, I have been chosen. This is a great honor to be able to represent my country in this specific event. So now how do you and I look at the agony God chose Job to go through? the same way you and I should look at the pain and agony that we might go through in life, the same way that you should look at the pain of losing your health, your wealth, your job, your money, your control, even your children, the same way you should look at all the challenges we go through in, through life as a congregation. The pain in your life is God honoring you by choosing you to help him win. He's using you to send Satan a message. 
And it's the same message that he sent to Satan with an empty grave on Easter morning. That not even Satan himself can, uh, or excuse me, it's the same message he sent to Satan on Easter morning with an empty grave. Right? Where the best possible man went through the worst possible pain. And as he did it, God told Satan, no matter how much you take from him, no matter how much pain or suffering you put him through, no matter how much of his blood that you shed, no matter how many nails you pound into him, you can't take away the one thing he wants more than anything else in life. The one and only thing he needed to consider his life good as he lay, as he was hanging on the cross and dying. That one thing is you. Forgiven for all the times in your pain and suffering that you walked away from him. And even if you have been the worst kind of person up to that point, not even Satan himself can keep your life from the best possible result. That day when God will come and wipe away every tear from our eye and take us to a place where there is no more pain or suffering or loss or death. And if that's true, that means that when God looks at you, he sees the exact same thing when he looked at Job from heaven. Have you considered my servant Job? He asked. God knew that Job was someone who served God's purpose of sending the same message that Jesus came to deliver. And if your life of faith has discomfort and pain, it is as if God is saying the same thing. Have you considered my servant and you can fill in your name? Which is why at the very end of chapter 1, after Job has taken hit after hit after hit, of bad news, Job responds to it all by saying, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. The name of the Lord be praised. I'm going to encourage you over the six weeks of this series to read through the book of Job with me. Read a chapter a day. Start today. Read Job chapter 1. As you read through the chapters of Job this week, you're going to see that you are never alone in your pain and that you never need to be afraid. And best of all, you're going to have the opportunity to praise God for the right to see yourself as God does, as his servant, chosen by God himself to walk the most unpredictable paths with the most important purpose. Amen. And the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, will guard and will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.